evidence-based medication for addiction treatment is the standard of care for opioid use disorder, and it significantly reduces the risk of overdose. But people who are incarcerated often don't have access to medication for addiction treatment, and reentry into the community can be a dangerous time for people who are at risk of overdose. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Justin Burke, an Assistant Professor in the Departments of Medicine and Pediatrics at Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University. Dr. Burke has written a perspective article about initiating buprenorphine treatment in people recently released from incarceration. Dr. Burke, in your perspective article, you describe your experience prescribing buprenorphine from a van that had been converted into a mobile clinic. Can you start by explaining the kinds of medications that are available for treating opioid use disorder, including buprenorphine, and how they work? Absolutely. For opioid use disorder, this is a well-defined disease of addiction that has evidence-based medication. The most common medications are opiate agonist or partial agonist therapies, such as methadone and buprenorphine, or also things like a long-acting antagonist or long-acting naltrexone. Buprenorphine is one of the medications that is most easily accessible to prescribe and for patients to take because it can be done in an office setting, but also in non-traditional settings. And similar to the van, buprenorphine can be prescribed in a clinic, in a emergency department, in the inpatient setting, or in non-traditional settings, whether it's a church basement or a van. The medications work by filling the opioid receptors that are responsible for causing the cravings and withdrawal symptoms of people that suffer from addiction. And it allows individuals to carry on with their lives and focus more on taking care of themselves, focusing on their jobs, focusing on their families, rather than focusing on how to get drugs or other things on the street to prevent withdrawal. When you're prescribing buprenorphine to people who recently released from incarceration, you write that your team set a low threshold for treatment initiation. Can you explain that concept, low threshold initiation, and how widely is that approach used? Low threshold initiation is essentially ensuring that there's no barriers to getting patients' treatment to this very safe medication. Low threshold means that you are trying to meet the patients where they're at and not having them have to go through a large process of invasive testing or clinic appointments and addressing transportation issues to do the medications. Low threshold treatment is getting the medication to the people where they need it. Low threshold therapy is becoming much more widely accepted. There are recommendations and guidelines that are promoting decreasing the number of barriers and this can mean that prescriptions should continue even if a patient has a relapse or falls back and starts to use drugs again. This is a great opportunity for them to get more help, not less. Low threshold initiation means continuing to prescribe even if patients are on benzodiazepines. While there may be a slightly increased risk of side effects, these medications still have a net benefit. Low threshold initiation means prescribing in atypical settings, whether it's jails, prisons, or an illegally parked van, but also in clinics, in the emergency department, in the inpatient setting, even when a patient is being admitted for something other than opioid use disorder. You say in your article that despite court rulings supporting a constitutional right to medication for opioid use disorder in jails and prisons, few facilities actually offer these treatments. What have been the main impediments? Are the facilities concerned about costs or about the logistics of providing the care? What's the problem? I think different institutions will have different challenges and barriers to getting evidence-based medicine to incarcerated individuals. 
though, frankly, there's an issue with how we address addiction. Many of those that are affected by the overdose crisis have exposure to the criminal justice system, and many of those that are incarcerated suffer from opiate use disorder. Despite being a vulnerable group and despite evidence that treatment saves lives, there's still just low access for this buprenorphine. Addiction and the overdose crisis are public health crises and should be treated as such. And addiction, that means treating it as a disease, not a crime, and providing medication. The truth is, I think a lot of these programs, yes, have some logistical barriers in getting medications, and yes, there's a cost associated with it, but it's short-sighted to not recognize the enormous benefit delivering these medications can be to the individuals and the community. It can save lives. It can reduce recidivism. And I'd say, honestly, especially in this climate where there's a revitalized focus on structural racism and and systemic racism, this is what has perpetually reinforced the practice of mass incarceration. There are health inequities because of mass incarcerations, and the stark disparities in our criminal justice system are some of the most glaring and obvious examples of systemic racism. And there's a component of stigma, and this needs to be acknowledged and recognized to overcome and ensure that we're increasing access to the people that need it the most. What concerns have been raised and what barriers have clinicians faced when it comes to making buprenorphine more accessible in other settings, such as clinics, emergency departments? There's a few different barriers that make it so that it's tough for clinicians to get buprenorphine to the people that need it the most. One of the lowest hanging fruits is the X waiver, the requirement that any clinician who wants to prescribe buprenorphine to a patient with opioid disorder has to undergo extensive training. That's eight hours if you're a physician or 24 hours if you are an advanced practitioner, a PA or an NP. And this regulation is very unique to the field of medicine where it handcuffs providers from providing life-saving medications. When you are first out of residency or even as a resident, you can prescribe opiates that have been shown to contribute to the opiate overdose crisis. You can prescribe oxycodone and fentanyl and yet you cannot prescribe buprenorphine, a medication that has a ceiling effect on side effects that is safe to administer and can help save lives. Other barriers are clearly that there is still a stigma that exists among people who use drugs, and there is a stigma that exists among people with opiate use disorder. And this will affect providers from wanting to prescribe buprenorphine, from helping these individuals and patients, and honestly, even from these patients wanting to seek and get help themselves. They're aware that stigma exists in the healthcare system. And I think reducing stigma is a major barrier, but also reducing these administrative burdens, such as the EDS waiver, that is just an unnecessary barrier to get providers from prescribing medications. In the long run, I think also training providers to have better addiction medicine knowledge, having residents gain training in how to treat opiate disorder and how to develop strong relationships with patients that suffer from addiction. These are all things that are going to help promote increasing the access to buprenorphine and increasing access to life-saving medications. So besides the mobile clinic that you describe in your article, which is clearly a way to get past some of those barriers, are there other creative solutions that cities or health systems have been working with to connect people from vulnerable populations with addiction treatment? Absolutely. There are plenty of very passionate providers who are initiating buprenorphine prescriptions not just from vans, but from church basements, from pre-clinics, from any facility. There's a great National Academy of Medicine document that advocates that this medication can be given in all settings and is helpful in all settings. Some of the innovative work that's going on now at a national level is the use of telephone initiation. So having the first visit done over the telephone. 
Because of the COVID public health emergency declaration, providers for the first time are able to initiate buprenorphine over the phone with audio-only visits. And I think we will see that this is a helpful way to overcome one of these barriers in helping patients gain access to buprenorphine. It is also very important for these visits to continue to be audio-only as there is clearly a disparity in patients that have access to audio-visual components or video components. And so by doing audio telephone encounters, we are able to reach a population that is much more difficult to reach to initiate on buprenorphine, to access this vulnerable population and get people started on life-saving medication. In a related perspective article, Cooper and colleagues raised the issue that many pharmacists are reluctant to dispense buprenorphine to patients with prescriptions. So their article focuses on Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, that part of the country. Is this a barrier that you've come across in the places where you've worked? I admit that it's not. I mean, there's definitely some pharmacies that are known to carry buprenorphine. Well, I should say I've come across this issue some in that there are some pharmacies who are known to not carry buprenorphine for whatever reason. But I think the Cooper's perspective demonstrates that there's still a lot of barriers that exist, and it's a full-team effort that goes across disciplines. I imagine that stigma also plays a role, unfortunately, in getting these medications delivered to the right pharmacies, and that there are clear administrative regulations that prevent the dispensing of life-saving medications, which in the current environment of an opioid overdose epidemic, it seems crazy that we are preventing the healthcare team from getting medications to the people that need them the most. So finally, looking at stigma, what role can individual physicians play in helping to address that stigma associated with opioid use disorder, including in people who've been incarcerated, and in expanding access to evidence-based medication? I think at all levels, providers can do a lot to help address stigma and treat patients with opioid disorders. For practitioners that are out there, we can do more to get the ETS waiver to become buprenorphine prescribers and to offer this life-saving medication. There are a lot of areas, especially in rural areas, where individuals do not have access to any practitioner that can prescribe buprenorphine. So one of the first steps is getting the ETS waiver, becoming a buprenorphine prescriber. Second, as a physician in an academic setting, I think we can role model what it is to be a non-judgmental physician in working with patients that have addiction or are incarcerated. We should not be judging these patient populations. We should be offering them empathy. We should be offering them treatment for their disease. Residents, fellows, students can also learn more about how to treat addiction how buprenorphine works and become the future leaders in further treating a population that society has disenfranchised and helped to contribute to the movement of increasing access to these medications. Thank you, Dr. Burke.